got a lot of stuff here that I've got to organise myself. I'm not used to this little lectern. Oh, well, we'll see how we go. I've got lots of props. got lots of props today. But it's come up. It's actually been a very sad week in the life of many members of our church. Uh, we've still got no news from uh, our precious little Haley, uh, daughter of Steve and Nikki. Uh, it's just a matter of time now before she passes away from her, her brain tumour. Uh, and likewise with Jean Wilson, she's in palliative care in Liverpool Hospital. There's still no news uh, from her, but that looks like she's coming to the end of her fight. Uh, we had uh, announced last week that uh, Glenn Jensen from this congregation is in his 50s, had a, had a stroke. He's paralysed down his right side. He's in Liverpool Hospital. Uh, and there's been numerous other people struggling with ill health and sadnesses and things going on. And on top of that, there's been four unexpected deaths of family members, uh, relatives, uh, of people connected with this congregation, including a stillborn baby this week uh, from an ex-member of uh, Glen Quarry Church. Uh, David Old, the minister at Macquarie Fields and Glenfield, came back on Friday to run uh, a memorial service uh, for her. So it's been an absolutely shocking week and I know people have had the flu and things as well. But our thoughts and our prayers go out to those who are struggling and suffering and grieving. Now we might want to ask many different questions in the face of all these tragedies and sadnesses. Uh, where is God? Where is God in all of this? Uh, why this one and, or that one? Uh, how, can, how can any good come from any of these different things? Uh, and the truth is that at the moment, only God alone knows uh, what he's doing. Uh, we've got to trust that he is in control, that he will bring about his desires for his glory and for our good, and that he's working his plans and purposes out. But there is one question that we can answer this morning. Uh, that is, where is hope? Where in all of that is hope? And we almost couldn't have had uh, a better uh, sense of timing as we've come to the end of Mark's gospel today. We've been working our way through Mark. It wasn't chosen specially for this occasion. And we come to this final glorious chapter of Mark's gospel where we're shown the answer about where true hope lies. Now, if we don't look at this hope, we could try and entertain ourselves otherwise. Uh, we could try and do some magic, maybe what we're talking about today might seem a bit like magic to you. And I happen to have brought, because it's a special Kids Takeover Church Day today, I brought three pieces of rope. I have a short one, I have a medium one, and I have a long one. Maybe this will cheer us up as we're talking about sad things. Uh, is this the way we have hope? By cheering ourselves up. And what I'm going to do is put these three pieces of rope here in my hand like this. Okay, you agree I have three, three pieces of rope? And they're all legitimately short, medium and long? Oh, terrific. There you go. Uh, what I'm going to do is try and make them all exactly the same length. Do you think I can do it? Can you believe that I can do it? Well, <laughs> well uh, let's, let's see if it's possible. What I've got to do is, uh, is tuck them all up into my hand like this. Uh, and we'll put this one up here too. There you go. And that one like that, I think. Uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, something like that. Uh, anyway, so I've just folded them in half. And then what I've got to do is go... 
And then watch what's happened. As nothing's happened. Because <laughs> I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Is that correct? No, I don't know what I've done. That's entertaining, isn't it? See? Uh, it didn't work. All right, let's try again. All right. Here we go. <laughs> it's like comedy church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Because we're trying to make them all the same length, right? Is that correct? Okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Glad we practiced this beforehand, James. <laughs> we got the short one tucked up. We got the long one tucked up. We've got the medium one tucked up. Here we go. All right. Now I'm going to just pull them all down and we'll see. Whoa! All the same length. They are. I can prove it to you. Here you go. So we've got, we've got, uh, we've got a medium one because they've all turned into the size of the medium one, right? I think we've got... Uh, we've got a medium one, <laughs> and we have we have a medium one. <laughs> Three of the same length. All right. Now let's let. Do you reckon I can get them back to their original length? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tie these together, right? I'm just gonna tie them in a simple, uh, I don't know, reef knot or. a... Granny knot, I'm not sure which one's which, it's right over left and left over right or something like that. So we've got two the same length tied together. Uh, we've got a third one here. There you go. We'll tie these two ones that are the same length together. See, I wasn't cheating, was I? They actually are three ropes the same length tied together. All right, there you go. There you go, three medium ropes. I've got to stretch it, you go. And now I have a short, a medium, and a long. <laughs> do, you want some, do you want some proof? My daughter's sitting here going, no way! <laughs> I have a short. <laughs> I have a medium. And I have... Along, there you go for you. <laughs> but is that all we need to cheer ourselves up when we're faced with sad things? So we just kind of entertain ourselves and distract ourselves by doing magic tricks and that kind of thing. And is the hope that we're talking about today really just a magic trick like that, that maybe someone fumbled uh, <laughs> along the way as they did it, but it looks pretty impressive in the end. Because I want to say today, kids and adults, there is true hope in the face of our grieving. There's true hope, wonderful and spectacular hope, and it's all found in Jesus because Jesus has defeated death. He has risen from the tomb. He is alive again. Indeed, the Apostle Peter says in his first letter to the scattered Christians all over the world, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us, who through faith are shielded by God's power. 
And because of that living hope that comes through Jesus Christ rising from dead, even in our grief and our sadness, our grieving hearts can rejoice. And it's that hope that we're talking about just for a few minutes today. But before we can see it clearly, there's a few mysteries that need some clearing up first to do with Mark's gospel and Mark chapter 16. Three mysteries, in fact, that unless we unravel them, they might well rob us of this living hope because it might prove to be a bit of a dud magic trick. Uh, The first mystery uh, revolves around how Mark's gospel actually ends because it's a bit weird. It looks like it's got two endings in our our Bibles there, doesn't it? Uh, There's one ending at verse 8. Uh, And then there's another ending at verse 20 and someone's drawn a great line across our Bibles and it's in every person's Bible uh, all over the world has this line across it that says, not sure about the end. There's a little note in brackets that says, uh, the earliest manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 to 20. So what's with that? What's with that? And in fact, it's worse than that because there's various other options as well for endings. Um, so how did Mark end? Did Jesus actually come out of the tomb? Because the bit that's at the end that's a bit dubious is where they actually meet him. If it's so cagey, might have made the case that there's really no reason to trust that any of it actually happened. The second mystery, I think, is the disciples' reaction. Why were they so shocked and terrified about this whole rising from the dead business when they came to the tomb. Shouldn't they have been expecting it? Particularly when on five separate occasions in the last few weeks leading up to this, uh, Jesus had told them that he was, this is exactly what was going to happen, that I will die, suffer, die, and then I'll, three days later I'm going to rise from the dead. He says it in Mark chapter 8 uh, in verse 32. He says it in Mark chapter 9 and verse 9, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 31, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 32. And most recently he said it just four days ago. Four days before this, the night that he was arrested and betrayed and sentenced to his death, in Mark chapter 14, 28, he said, After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. You'll actually get to see me alive again in a real place in time and history. Over and over he told them. And then he dies on the cross. And the third day later, no one's expecting anything. They're all shocked when it happens. They've scattered. And the last we heard, Peter had denied being connected with Jesus at all. And here the women come to the tomb. They're expecting they're going to need some big burly blokes, like muscles up here, (coughs) sort of sags, Uh, (laughs) uh, to have to roll away this giant stone that's blocking the entrance to the tomb. What was so unclear about what Jesus was saying? Why didn't they just listen and believe him? Why are they shocked when they, oh, that's a mystery. But there's a third mystery, and this is the strangest one to me a mystery about modern day Christians. Because over the last 50 years or so, that's even older than me, uh, just, uh, for the first time in human history, There's people who want to be known as Christians but don't want to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They want to be known by everyone as as Christians, as Jesus people, as churchgoers, but they don't believe in the resurrection. Uh, In fact, there's there's hundreds of them. I've got some here from from church leaders. Uh, Here you go. The the primate of Australian Anglican Church a couple of years ago. He's retired now. Uh, Peter Carnley. 
Doesn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, Bishop Spong, American bishop in the Anglican Church, doesn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, he's the father of all of them. Uh, this guy, Rudolf Bulgman, wrote this book, Jesus Christ and Mythology, he says, it's all a myth. Never happened. And they are Christian leaders. Is that what? Can you be a Christian and not believe Jesus rose from the dead? That's a mystery. What they say, I mean, the way they, they, they get around it is what they do is try and demythologize the Bible. And they do it by reinterpreting the meaning of words, like the word resurrect. And what those guys say is that when the Bible talks about Jesus rising from the dead or resurrecting, it doesn't mean his body got resuscitated, that he walked out of a tomb after he was dead, because his body's still in a grave somewhere. And what they say is things like, the disciples after the death of Jesus had an awareness of being transformed by the life of Jesus. Uh, and they experience, they express this transforming effect in the language of mythology of a dying and rising God. They were just talking about the, the profound effect that it had on them. And as they came to terms with the fact that he's gone now, they could still remember his teaching. And it's only foolish Christians later who are dumb enough to believe the myth instead of what the myth was trying to teach. It was really like Aesop's fables, uh, moral story. It, it's spin doctoring. It's code words. I was at an Easter service a few years ago uh, and a man who didn't believe in the resurrection was giving the resurrection talk. And he said, what are you going to hear is the angel's message. The angel says, he has gone ahead of you to Galilee. You've got to work out where your Galilee is. Okay, if you are a housewife, maybe your kitchen is your Galilee. Jesus wants to meet you right where you are. If you're an office worker in the city, you work for, for Westpac, say, maybe your desk is your Galilee. Jesus wants to meet you there. Uh, <laughs> And, but it's really just code words. It's, it's nonsense. I mean, there's a certain truth in that in that Jesus is with us. But it's code word for non-belief. And, and so they say they believe in the resurrection. They'd be terribly offended if you said that they didn't. Uh, but what they mean by resurrection is completely different from what the disciples experienced, what they preached and what they believed in. And they want it to be the case because they're so heavily influenced by modern philosophy and atheism uh, that they can't believe in any sort of miracles actually happening. That, you know, Jesus, <laughs> nonsensical to believe that people rise from the dead or that demons get cast out or any of those kind of things. I mean, the only people who read atheist books in the end are atheists and academic theologians, church leaders. <laughs> you know? No one else cares. Um, but you shouldn't rule out a phenomenon before looking at the evidence. And especially once you accept the possibility that God might be there and that he's powerful and he might want to interact with his creation and you accept the fact that maybe there's a unique son who's been sent to save the world, then you might at least allow for the possibility why this man, this one man of all people, might rise from the grave when all of the rest remain dead. But what you've got to do is work through the evidence and say what actually happened. So let's see if we can solve the three mysteries, hey? Do you reckon we can solve the mysteries this morning and see if there's any hope left, this living hope, which we can truly glory and rejoice in, even in the face of our grief? Well, I'll deal with the first one really quickly. Uh, if you want the full story, you have to come to the night service uh, or email me and I'll send you the full notes. Uh, the end of Mark's gospel, it ends at verse 8. The rest of it, 
just junk that someone later on added on. Uh, and you can understand why they might have done it because it's a weird ending. The women hear the announcement, they're shocked and they're terrified. Okay, did Mark just run out of scroll? Um, no, no, but there's no ancient version of the end. So if you go back to the really old documents, just none of them have it. It was a later thing that someone added on, uh, maybe trying to make it a bit like Luke and Matthew's gospel, uh, maybe thinking someone needs something. Uh, and modern publishers have to make the choice. Uh, and what our guys have done is put them both in and put that line in the middle of it. Uh, it really doesn't make much difference. And you'll only really care if you want to go about and get bitten by some snakes and drink some poison for fun. Uh, because Jesus says he makes that promise in the bit that's not really there. So, so don't try that at home, kids. Uh, the Bible doesn't say it. That's not really there. If you want a full explanation, talk to me at morning tea or come tonight. The short ending, it ends at verse 8. They're told that he's alive, they've seen the empty tomb and they are scared as a result. Well, what about the second mystery? Why are the disciples so surprised? Because over and over again, they've been told by Jesus, this is going to happen. I'm going to suffer, die, rise again three days later. They come and they're shocked. I mean, if someone told me that they were going to die and rise again from the dead, I'd be asking questions, right? What questions would you ask uh, if someone told you they were going to die and rise again from the dead? When? Okay, I'm going to do it three days later. What's the next question you're going to ask? Really? Yeah. So what was that one? How? How? No, I reckon that's the big one. How on earth could you possibly do that? I'd ask, is it going to hurt? <laughs> is, is it really the same person coming back? Is it really the same ropes? Um, uh, you know, are you going to have all your faculties? <laughs> um, are you going to kind of be... Limping and wanting brains. Nah. <laughs> They're the kind of question, but it doesn't even seem to register. It just goes straight over the heads. Why is that? Well, it's got to do with the Old Testament and what the Old Testament expectations are about resurrections. Because the Old Testament actually talks about resurrection all the time. Lots of different places. But when you read those parts, none of them, except for maybe Isaiah 53, which we read before seems to have much to do with an individual man dying and coming out of his tomb. Because the Old Testament expectation is that the kingdom of God is coming like a resurrection, like people coming back to life on the third day. See, Ezekiel promised that in his uh, prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 37. He's given a valley, a, a vision by God of a valley full of bones. Dead bones of skeletons all scattered around the valley. And he's told by God, speak to the bones. Speak to the bones and, and they'll come back together. And he says, uh, really God? Oh, I'll give it a go. Bones, come back together. And everything starts rattling. And all these bones start moving back together. And they find their right neighbours so that it makes all these people and all these bodies there. And then skin grows over them again. And they become all these bodies lying around. And then God says, now breathe on them, son of man. Breathe on them and they'll come back to life. And he, he goes, okay, well, God said so. So he breathes on them and 
They all stand up. He says, a mighty army, a mighty army. And it's, it's the kingdom of Israel coming back. And it's being brought back to life by the preaching of the gospel. But it's more than just the kingdom being restored because the resurrection in the Old Testament was also the day when every single person in the world will come to be judged by God. Daniel chapter 12 talks about it. Everyone's going to, on the last day, rise from the dead and receive from God either uh, eternal life and glory or they'll be condemned. Uh, And so I think for the disciples, when Jesus talked about rising from the dead, uh, it was similar to our phrase, going to heaven, I'm going to go to heaven. And so they didn't think much about it. And the number three in the Old Testament, uh, particularly when it comes to the third day, is significant because it's the day of restoration and salvation. It's kind of a symbolic number. You see that in Hosea chapter 6, for example. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to rise on the third day, all they were hearing is saying, I'm going to go to heaven when God restores all things. Now, it wouldn't have meant much more to them than that. They didn't think it actually meant that three days later, he was, after dying, he was going to stand up and physically walk out of the tomb and eat a meal with them. But they were wrong. You see it in John's Gospel when Lazarus dies and Jesus says, do you believe your brother will rise? And Martha says... Of course he's going to, he's a good godly Jew. Of course he's going to rise on the last day. She says, no, no, no. Do you think I can get him out of the grave? She's like, no. She says, I believe. Um, It's just the way of thinking. So when the disciples had that in mind, as Jesus spoke about coming back, a way of talking about the new age, a way of talking about a new world starting, when the kingdom of God finally arrives and when God's enemies are judged. It's the end of the world. That's what the Old Testament means by the resurrection. I'll die and then there'll be the end of the world is what they heard Jesus say. So what, with that kind of resurrection understanding one, come back to the events of Mark chapter 16. There's three key things that happened. First key event, there's an empty tomb. There's no description of how Jesus' resurrection happened, just that the tomb that had been so well sealed and was guarded was standing wide open. The massive stone had been rolled away. The women... As they came, were worried about how they were going to open it up. But when they got there, there was just this gaping hole. And when they looked inside, there was no corpse inside. It wasn't an emotional experience. Well, they had an emotional experience. They were petrified. Um, But they weren't going, wow, I'm at peace with the death of my, my friend and my leader. It wasn't a spiritual experience they were having. It was a physical one. The resurrection is of its nature physical and the reality is bodily. So we're not, we're not expected to be reincarnated, that's wrong. It's not about immortality of the soul. We're not going to be ghosts floating around playing ghostly harps. Um, Jesus isn't a zombie. The same person who was buried is now physically alive again. He's utterly transformed. They're going to be confused when they do meet him. But, but either it did or it did not happen. We're talking about facts here. We're talking about History, it's, it's theoretically possible to prove proven false, but it's not a story to be demythologized. It's not something that was happening inside the disciples' hearts and minds. That moves Christianity outside of the um, opinion bag and into the true false bag. It's either true or it's false. 
and you can go and check out the evidence and you can work it out. And in fact, it's true. It's history. Second key event, the statement of the young man who's angelic in his appearance. He's glowing in white. He speaks to them as they come into the tomb and he assures them they've got the right place. They haven't got the wrong grave. Uh, They didn't go to the wrong one. But he also gives them the interpretation of what's happening. See, has anyone heard the phrase, a picture tells a thousand words? Yeah, but it's a thousand different words. I mean, when you go to an art gallery, especially if you go to the modern art galleries, you look at it and go, hmm, that guy's on drugs. No, (laughs) that guy uh, needs to go to hospital. (laughs) What does it mean? It might tell a thousand words, but... But what's the first thing you do? You read the plaque that tells you who painted it and what it's supposed to be about and why they painted it. Because actually the interpretation gives you what the picture means. And that's what the angel says. He gives the interpretation of what's happening. He says it here. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. You've got the right place. You come to look for the right person. The one who was crucified, he really is dead. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And he points it out. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. The risen one is the same one they crucified. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here. He's not where he was laid. He's not being stolen, but he is risen just as he told you he was going to do. And he's going ahead of you to meet you up in Galilee, just like he said. Not in your kitchen, not in your office, but up north where the weird people are, up in Queensland. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, why Galilee? What's significant about Galilee? Why would he go there? Why don't he just go around the corner? Why don't he go to Rome, the centre of the empire? Why don't, or go to Jerusalem where you know, all the promises of God are supposed to happen? Why Galilee? Well, partly because that's exactly where he's already promised that he's going to meet them back before he died, back in chapter 14. He says, strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered, but after I risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee, I will meet you there. So he's fulfilling his own words. But it's more than just a handy meeting spot. Why Galilee? Well, because that's where he'd first gathered them in the first place, back in Mark chapter 1, if you remember. That's, they're all Galileans. They're all fishermen by the Sea of Galilee. And that's where he first met them and called them not to fish for fish anymore, but to fish for, mesh, fish for men, fish for people. And he's going back there to gather them again in Galilee. And it's all going to start again as he explains what has truly happened, as, he, as they overcome their shock and as he sends them out on their mission to win the world with the gospel so that people can come to life. But there's a third key event, the women's reaction. They came to do something very special for their friend who died. Offer his service of great love. Um, It was also one of extreme courage given the circumstances of Jesus' death. Uh, I mean, everyone else had run away in fear of their life. They'd come to care for Jesus' body by anointing it and embalming it. But instead they get the shock of the lies when they turn up there. Uh, The tomb's empty and there's this strange young man giving them this incredible, almost unbelievable message. I think it's no wonder that they were overwhelmed. 
I think we all would be. Um, it, and so their first thought is to run away afraid, trembling and not speaking the message they're supposed to. Now Mark's not criticising them. I reckon he's just helping us understand how incredible the power and the reality of what is happening is. It's, it's a supernatural thing. It's a God-sized thing that's taking place. It's not just a little rope trick that the minister kind of can half do <laughs> up the front. It's a, I, I love watching Penn and Teller fool us. I don't know if you see that show. You know, it's magicians trying to fool magicians. Uh, and, and I love it and stuff. And I'm sitting there going, how'd they do that? That's impossible kind of thing. But, you know, when they do the tricks and they're very impressive, everyone goes, wow, that's fantastic. Ah, I'll do it again. We were trying to, and they're trying to think how they did it and stuff. It's a nice magic show, but this isn't one of those. It's astonishing and terrifying power that's at work here to bring the dead back to life. Wonderful, true, but terrifying as well. But it's also why it's an appropriate place to finish because the rest is history, as they say. Jesus is the Christ in every conceivable way. In fact, the Old Testament has come true in his resurrection. The new age has commenced. The judgment of God has begun. The kingdom of God is being restored as his gospel goes out. It all happened just as he said it would. For when a man comes out of the grave, no longer to die again, the world is no longer the same as it used to be. Because what does it mean that Jesus, the Christ, has defeated death itself? It means that sins have been paid for. Because death, as awful as it is, and we keep experiencing it, and this week's been a shocker, Death is actually in the world as God's punishment because of human sin. Not that they were worse sinners than the others, you know, we're still sitting here, but, but death is in this world and decay because of God's curse on our race. And yet what did Isaiah 53 promise would happen? That the man that God would send would suffer utter humiliation. He would be despised and rejected, that he'd be bruised and broken not for his own sins, but for ours. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. I know they're hard words to say, aren't they, Nathan and Andrew? He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of Saul. Sing. Huh. But it doesn't stop there. It continues at the end of the chapter. Well, the song finishes there. But the, Isaiah 53 doesn't finish there because it continues. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. And prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. This is after he has died. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. All you need to know is risen. To know 
The new world has come. All you need to know is risen to know that sin has been dealt with. All you need to know is risen to know that Jesus is the victor over everything. He wins. He is the king. And that's why we can have this living hope, this life-changing hope, this true hope. Hope that hope because life really matters. Hope because there's not just emptiness in store after this world. Hope because there's not just condemnation in store from God. Hope because all of the frustrations and the anguish and the hurts and the pains and the losses and the sadnesses and the sickness and the griefs of this world, which some of us have terribly experienced in this last week, they are only temporary. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 talks about his light and momentary troubles, which include being shipwrecked, being whipped by Roman soldiers, being abused, starving, light and momentary troubles. We will be reunited with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Death has not got the last word. Evil has not got the last word. The devil has not got the last word. Jesus has got the last word. In fact, Jesus is the last word. He has risen. And because of that, our grieving hearts can rejoice. Let me pray. You've done so good. Let me pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is alive, that we have true hope, that we can be raised when Jesus comes in glory. Thank you that the new age has started, that we can know you, be forgiven by you, and grow as your disciples. Thanks for the kids running church today. Uh, Thank you for the effort they've put in and the great time it's been. Please encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen.